0: No Zombie power will soon fuel the nation, and it will be an absolutely green, clean, renewable resource. Uh, ultimately, too cheap to even meter, and so there is that. Zombies on treadmills, of course, the early prototypes of the giant imp wheel technology uh, did prove to be laughably inefficient, but what? Of the gear gear ratios and such, uh, well, I, I think it's becoming more efficient all the time. Uh, naturally, the electrode implant to think up all the zombies was a, a very important innovation also. Uh, otherwise, uh, they would have been all turkey jerky and tell bell and helter-skelter and all out of sync. So it was very important to ultimately uh, figure out how to sync them all up. Uh, of course uh, the, the rest
1: is history tonight on the podcast the people's candidate and new libertarian presidential candidate vermin supreme and i talk about ponies and government disclosure that and more coming right up on my alien life my alien life is recorded live from atop the northern rocky mountains and is available on spotify stitcher itunes and everywhere fine podcasts are found my website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com there you will find my email address all previously recorded shows and more i am cameron brower this is my alien life and the podcast starts right now my Little Life Podcast. Oh. I guess tonight is no stranger to foreign affairs policy, matters of state, smoke-filled rooms, electioneering and campaigning. Vermin Supreme has been doing that for about 32 years and it started in Baltimore, Maryland. Vermin Supreme, thank you for joining me and welcome, sir.
0: Greetings, my fellow Americans and others. As your president, I have promised to engage in hostilities only with those powers I deem to be a real and immediate danger our peace-loving nation. That is why I have ordered the Strategic Space Force Air Command to begin the bombing of Narnia in five minutes. If we do not fight them in their dimension there, we will have no choice but to fight them in our dimension here. We will not stop until we have destroyed Middle Earth. In this time of need, we must unite as a nation. I hope you will all pray for all our fearsome flying unmanned killer robot pony drones as they rain fire and death upon our subhuman enemy and various innocent wedding parties. May our brave soldiers not afflicted, may they may not be afflicted by carpal tunnel syndrome while conducting these long distance atrocities, or may they not suffer From terrible nightmares from the horror they must inflict
1: hello and i couldn't yeah i couldn't i couldn't have said it better myself even if i had tried or even if i had taken notes on that but that's beautiful and some of those are fighting words for some of of my listeners of course and and others who are 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 very very um (laughs) violent and uh don't appreciate aliens as much as some would be on your side for sure
0: Yes, yes, I am uh, proposing a concrete dome over the uh, entire country in order to protect us from uh, this uh, this alien invasion I hear so much about.
1: So what do you think of this Space Force business, now that you brought it up?
0: Well, I I, I am more about uh, Space Horse, and uh, I believe that ponies in space uh, are an essential part of, of a defense system that we most certainly need now more than ever or at least now more than last time indeed and i was
1: i was i was going very deep for this show and was thinking back and i wanted to talk uh, presidents with you and presidential candidates i myself have actually met you're my fifth presidential candidate that i've met i met ronald reagan this is dating myself but back in 1977 i met jesse jackson in uh 87. joe biden february 11th 2014 of course i'm on from montana and the montana governor steve bullock is running for president now, so do you ever? Sit I did not s- know that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's running. So, did you ever sit and chat, or have you chat sat and chat with other candidates on the road? Are you making memories with Mitt Romney, or is it just a lot of work?
0: Well, I, I do try and debate as many uh, candidates as I possibly can. Uh, I am very lucky because I do have a proximity to New Hampshire, and of course, New Hampshire is the. First in the nation, uh, presidential primary state, and as such, uh, pretty much every candidate who is running will eventually show up in New Hampshire. Uh, oftentimes, they have a uh, campaign headquarters and campaign staff and campaign buses and uh, and campaign events, and they are like bouncing all over this uh, state of New Hampshire. So, oftentimes, it's very easy to uh, to run into them or crack them down. In fact, uh, bird dogging, as it is called, uh, which involves asking the candidates uh, pointed questions, ideally, I suppose, uh, is quite a uh, hobby of uh, of many uh, citizens of the great state of New Hampshire. And I have had uh, various run-ins over the years um, and have uh, utilized uh, my sense of the absurd and my platforms of ponies and time travel and uh, uh, mandatory toothbrushing laws and the such to elicit uh, uh, reactions from the various candidates. Uh, in fact, if you were to Google up uh, Vermin Supreme and Chris Christie uh, or Vermin Supreme and Ted Cruz, um, you will have uh, two very fine examples of that. Uh, in the one, I had uh, the opportunity to ask Mr. Christie uh, where he stood on mandatory toothbrushing laws. Uh, he admitted that it was uh, important. Then when I asked him about uh, free ponies, well, he came out foursquare against them. Uh, he was forced to drop out of the race shortly thereafter. Uh, Ted Cruz, on the other hand, uh, was able to deconstruct. And uh, turn my entire mandatory toothbrushing law inside out, and uh, uh, show it for what it actually was—a critique of the nanny state and uh, things of that nature. Uh, John McCain uh, once admitted to me that uh, Karl Rove was responsible for dynamiting the Old Man of the Mountain, a <laughs> beloved uh, landmark up in New Hampshire. I thought that was. And. Him. Um, I I asked Bob Dole once uh, if he supported uh, um, mandatory toothbrushing. He he responded as long as it was locally controlled, which uh, certainly was in character for him. And then I asked what he would do about uh, the weather. That was a question I was asking uh, as early as 1992. What would the candidate do about the weather? And he said he was going to pray for good weather on Election Day. Um, I had John McCain once, when I asked him about mandatory toothbrushing. He uh, informed me that he, uh, his staff had great experience hiding in people's bathrooms late at night to make sure that they brushed their teeth, um, which I found to be a little odd and scary. Um, Lamar Alexander, the senator, he was running for president one time, and I asked him uh, if it was true that he had Elvis Presley imprisoned uh, underneath the governor's mansion. In Tennessee, because he was governor of Tennessee, and he pulled me aside and responded that he did in fact have Elvis Presley imprisoned for committing heinous acts.
1: And that's a quote. I, I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's still there, but I know Elvis has been spotted in Wakefield, Michigan, and um, which is ah, really interesting bullshit. to me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good for him. I'm glad he's doing okay. He's, he's got to be pretty old these days, though. Yes.
1: So when you're when you're hitting the campaign headquarters and, and bird dogging, as you call it, um, some nice digs out there. Any free eats there at the local campaign headquarters, especially in Massachusetts? Because
0: it's- well, occasionally yeah, there is. Occasionally they'll feed the uh, campaign staffs. Um, uh, more more likely, uh, I guess, if you're looking for the uh, free food events, I think you're looking. Wait, going to wait till the. Uh, night of the election, and then all the candidates have their various uh, victory parties, if you will, and uh, oftentimes they involve free beer.
1: Is that invitation only, or do you uh, do you get an invitation, or how many invitations um, do you get?
0: But many of them, uh, mo- and mo- if not most of them, are open to the public. Very nice. And- of course, oftentimes they're very selective about which members of the public they're actually going to allow in. And uh, yes, I have been been denied entry uh, over the years uh, in various locations for various reasons, oftentimes revolving around just the simple boot that I have on my head. They can't quite wrap their own heads around the boot that is on my head.
1: And that's just discrimination, if you you ask my opinion. And and that's, you know, many campaigns are about that or not discrimination, but about anti discrimination. So I, that's not fair. But you did bring up um, one thing that I wanted to talk about too is the weather. And of course, our, our president has been um, talking recently or has mentioned recently about um, nuking uh, hurricanes. And any opinion on that one? Because that's pretty big well, deal. I, pretty I pretty expensive it's a, deterrent. Uh,
0: it's a war on weather. I think. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It, it's a it's a start. It's a, it's a start on, uh, attacking climate change. So, so I welcome it.
1: The war on weather. Um, let me ask you this, how much energy does it take you to run a campaign like in 2020 and will the energy run out before the money? Tell me about that.
0: Uh, in terms of kilowatts or uh, either, uh, either, either, and or it
1: takes a calor- lot of energy out of you calories, for sure. Uh,
0: well, um, and once again, of course, I mean, Google. they say Google uh, eats up about 1% of the nation's electricity, uh, just simply uh, keeping all that uh, computer equipment cool. And, of course, uh, they say that uh, uh, growing marijuana uh, apparently uses about 1% of the U.S. electricity uh, in America. And uh, since uh, a lot of people Google me up and I smoke a lot of weed <laughs> – I, I guess I am using up a fair amount of energy, ultimately. Uh, I, I like my own wheat to, to be solar-powered, of course, if, if at all possible. For sure. Uh, but, of course, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, zombie power will soon fuel the nation, and, and it will be an absolutely green, clean, renewable resource, uh, ultimately too cheap to even meter. And so there is that once we... It, have and how does that really-
1: work? Is it uh, zombies on treadmills or how How do we uh, harness that energy, yeah, zombie yeah, power?
0: Sir. It is exactly that. It, it is indeed zombies on treadmills. Of course, the early prototypes of the giant hamster wheel technology uh, did prove to be laughably inefficient. But once we were able to uh, figure out the gear, gear ratios and such... Uh, Well, I I think it's becoming more efficient all the time. Uh, Naturally, the electrode implant to sync up all the zombies was a a very important innovation also. Uh, Otherwise, uh, they would have been all herky-jerky and pell-mell and helter-skelter and all out of sync. So it was very important to ultimately uh, figure out how to sync them all up. Uh, And, of course, uh, the, the rest is history.
1: So what exactly is the average lifetime of a zombie now? And how do you figure that?
0: Uh, they they just keep going until they sort of fall apart, really. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, sure, they smell. I mean, but uh, we, we dip them yeah, in they, polyurethane to, to try and prevent that. Uh, part. it's uh, a good, but,
1: good, good approach. I've never heard of that. Um,
0: yeah, so, so you, it's, it's all there in my new book. If you have not read my... New book. Uh, it's a real book, an actual book called I Pony Blueprint for a New America. And uh, this is a, a book about the future. It's a book about the future long after a vermin supreme presidency, after everybody has their free pony, after uh, mandatory toothbrushing law and the secret dental police have set up checkpoints every couple hundred yards after zombie power has fueled the nation and uh, time travel is used as a uh, common everyday occurrence in uh, foreign policy. Uh, It is, in fact, a warning from the people of the future to you, the people of their past, your present, of course, that Vermin Supreme is a madman and must be stopped. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme. That is, of course, available at iponythebook.com or iponybook.com. Or if you go to my campaign website, uh, ver, uh, https colon slash, slash vermin supreme 2020 with the numbers 2020.com, uh, you will find a way to get to uh, my online shop which uh, is a fundraising device from my campaign and uh, you can purchase that exciting book uh, it's a wonderful book uh, it's a it's actually a novella I, I wrote it to be 100 pages uh, because a short story was just going to be too short and so I made it 100 pages and that makes it a novella uh, and of course a novella was simply too long for me to write uh, but it, this book has uh, amazing artwork from uh, over 15 different artists uh, illustrating uh, each and every chapter and it's a, a very handsome book. It's a very large book. Um, it's, it's uh, suitable for your coffee table. It's uh, not quite a graphic novel, but by golly, it sure could be someday. We'll, we'll have to see about that.
1: So Amazon actually says it's 212 pages. Does it have a lot of those this page intentionally left blank inside of it or where the 212 come uh, from?
0: I, I, I think that's a, a lot of artwork and, uh, Gotcha. And the 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 text is is rather large, so it's it's like uh, <laughs> the uh, it, it took up more pages that way. Fourteen point and, Times uh, Roman. It, it's great for like old people to, to read, but uh, ultimately the the text is uh, it, well. I wrote it to be a hundred pages. I, I'm glad it, uh, it ultimately ended up to be twice as many.
1: On the, on the website, yes. you have a really nice website, and I was looking at that earlier, and actually, when talking about the book, you're actually quoting Ernest Hemingway in there, and so which what's the relationship there?
0: Um, I don't recall that quote.
1: All you have to do is write one true sentence, write the truest sentence you know, Ernest Hemingway, and that's under authors and artists, but, you know, that's... Oh, that's, 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 that's
0: funny. Um, <laughs> are you sure? Is that, a, is that a review, or is that something yeah, that it's, I, I it's, quoted? it's a...
1: It's a well, maybe I don't know. It's, it's a link to your book. Maybe it's somebody else actually has your, your book linked and uh, a couple of places do actually, you can find it on Amazon. Um, Bob's mystic books. That's, that's the quote I uh, guess yes. he probably
0: did. Uh, Bob's mystic, yes. yeah, yeah. That yeah. is the official publisher. If you actually buy it directly from the publisher, uh, Bob's mystic Books, uh, then we get a little bit more money. Nice. Uh, it was a, it was a wonderful thing because uh, a lot of these artists, uh, are artists uh, of which I, whose work I've been fans for many years. Uh, some were uh, just fan artists that, that popped up on my feed. Um, and uh, it was just nice to be able to actually offer them uh, a percent, uh, or I think they all got like 1% for their artwork. Uh, and so that, that was, I felt very good about the, uh, not asking people to do things for free.
1: Uh, yeah. And it's very cool too, because they have, they have the different artists list listed and it tells a little bit about each one and, uh, it's a nice little book, actually. And
0: oh, absolutely! And uh, and on my uh, campaign uh, merchandise website, uh, we will be featuring all the different artists and the uh, different artwork on uh, a variety of different products. Uh, so, so that's very exciting. In fact, uh, let let me read you a small uh, little segment. Oh, from yeah, the book that'd be great. I,
1: I would love that.
0: Uh, uh, call it like a little. And the book, the book, the book,
1: the book currently does have. Um, 100% only customers reviews right now, so that's good.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I think that, uh, there's a lot of fun reviews. The reviews are, are uh, very entertaining in and of themselves. And of course, it was a wonderful and a very fun book to write because uh, it was a book that I had no idea where it was going to go, what it was going to be, what was going to happen. And so as I was writing it it, 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 uh, it, it just surprised me every day that I would write a a new little section trying to figure out what else might happen. So uh, th- this is a, a little section uh, that I will be reading for you right Thank now. Thank you. Um, starting now.
1: Do you need music or anything? There were,
0: mm, uh, I guess you could dub some in post. <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> there were harsh political realities when president for life, Vermin the first took office at the time of his ascent to the white house there were over 300 million Americans in America's previous borders. At the time, there were only 200,000 ponies in the whole country. It was a recipe for civil unrest. And these were not just political realities, these were reality realities. There was a very stark choice to be made. On the table, would it be the mass execution of some 299,700,000 plus Americans in order to achieve proper pony human parity or something else. His misspoken claim during his inauguration to faithfully execute the American people was sounding visionary. It is certainly true that such a mass execution would create jobs. It would also lessen the country's dependence on foreign oil. It would be good for the environment. Although there were some drawbacks to consider, mostly they were merely questions of ethics and public relations. During his time of widespread civil unrest, all options were on the table. The Dental High Command was put on high alert. The Dental Reeducation Camps were readied. Homeland Dental Security coordinated with the nation's Dental Police Departments. The militarization of America's Dental Police Forces had been a great idea that it was about to pay off in lower incidences of gum disease nationwide. There were riots in the streets of numerous cities. Pulsating water pick cannons knocked rioters off their feet and knocked the plaque right off of their teeth. The population was demanding their ponies, ponies that were nowhere in sight. It was a time of heightened international tensions. No one would have blamed Tyrant Supreme if he had ordered the National Dental Guard to carry out a full-scale massacre of the civilian population. It was high time, actually. The veneer of civility that had protected Americans from such real political unrest for quite some time was wearing thin. The quaint and oft-repeated notion that it can't happen here. Was truly just a lack of imagination. Thank you.
1: Very, very, very nice. Thank you very much for that.
0: Thank you. Uh, so that's sort of uh, give you a little bit of the flavor of uh, of what it is.
1: 1987, and you first ran for office. What was that?
0: Oh yes, I thought uh, I, I thought that was an alternate title. 1987. It would have been a great. <laughs> A great <laughs> follow-up 1984 1984. Uh, what, what was your question again? I'm sorry. You, you
1: first ran for uh, public office in, in uh, 1987, or was it earlier? What was your first office that you ran for?
0: Well, in high school, I was mayor for the day. Oh, nice. Uh, but I, that, that really hardly uh, counts, although I did get to drive around uh, with the actual mayor of my hometown for the day. And
1: uh, Was that in so Baltimore?
0: Yeah. Close enough, we'll say. <clears throat> um, but yes, the 1987 was my first uh, sort of official pretend campaign, if you will. It was uh, the mayor of Baltimore, Maryland, and it was, in fact, um, something to do. It wasn't a political decision at the time. I was quite burned out on Baltimore, and I was simply looking – an interesting project that might uh, give me something to do, Um, and that was what I uh, drunkenly uh, announced uh, one night at my local bar. Uh, In the meantime, I actually did leave Baltimore, Um, the Great Peace March for Global Nuclear Disarmament, which was a uh, march for peace uh, that left uh, L.A. and uh, went to D.C. This was in 1986 uh was a march for peace, and by the time it rolled into Baltimore, it had uh, 5,000 people on board with the entire infrastructure that was required to move such a thing down the road. And um, when I saw it, I was inspired by it, and I ran to the thrift store, grabbed a fresh uh, change of clothing, a cheap sleeping bag, and I started walking with them. And I walked with them to Washington D.C., and I met uh, a very interesting number of uh, people, including uh, some anarchists. And um, they, a num- uh, several of them, purchased some of the equipment, uh, including a kitchen trailer, a water trailer, uh, some porta potty trailers, and um, some trucks to tow all that stuff. And essentially, they formed a collective uh, that's called Seeds of Peace. And their purpose was to help move uh, protest marches down the road. And so I joined the, up with them in Florida. We marched from Kings Bay, Georgia, down to Cape Canaveral. Uh, up in Kings Bay is where a bunch of nuclear submarines were are stationed. And Cape Canaveral, in addition to being uh, the place where the space shuttle uh, took off from, was also the location where they were testing the Trident D-5 uh, missile, which was a first strike uh, destabilizing technology. So there was a lot of people uh, doing backcountry actions, uh, invading Cape Canaveral, trying to uh, postpone or delay the tests. Uh, So that was my introduction and uh, early beginning into activism. Uh, At that time, I also started bringing my political campaign into political demonstrations um, and at that time, uh, that I started traveling with this, uh, collective, uh, doing Peace March support work, I was also attending rainbow gatherings, uh, for the first time. And so these two things, uh, attending national political, con- uh, events and, uh, the rainbow gathering, uh, they ga- they started to give me my first, uh, national network of, of individuals who, st- uh, began to take note of my campaign. It was also where I began to learn a number of skills um, during the peace marches and stuff and uh, actions out at the Nevada nuclear test site. Um, there was uh, certainly need for peacekeeping and peacekeepers, and so I started taking uh, nonviolent uh, direct action trainings and giving nonviolent uh, direct action trainings and uh, participating in nonviolent direct action. And, um, at the rainbow gatherings, uh, simultaneously, I was learning to be a clown and, uh, pushing the limits on, uh, on what I could do uh, in terms of humor with, uh, with my body and my words. And, uh, then, uh, started bringing in the, the clowning into the campaigning, into the political environment, into my peacekeeping. So I started, uh, in using my... Peacekeeping skills, uh, which is essentially uh, just sort of glorified camp counselor, if you will, um, to intervene in crisis intervention situations. Uh, and then after a while, I started act doing security at the Rainbow Gatherings. And part of security at the Rainbow Gatherings involves uh, offering uh the opportunity to walk with uh, the police in order to help try and keep them out of trouble, give them escorts, if you will. And um, so this gave me the opportunity to start doing an eight-hour shift of walking through the Rainbow Gathering with uh, eight uh, Alabama State troopers, for example. Uh, are you familiar with the Rainbow Gathering?
1: Absolutely. Yep, I uh, the first time I ever saw that, there was one in Montana. I think it was probably about 19, right around 80 that I first saw one.
0: Nice, nice. Yes, I, so me and my wife have been attending those for some 30 years. And uh, like I say, it's where I picked up quite a bit of my skills. And it's also where I learned uh, everything I knew about practical anarchy because, you know, there are no leaders, there are no, um, nobody's in charge. Uh, if anything needs to get done, it gets done because the people come together and make it so. Uh, for your viewers uh, or your listeners, uh, a rainbow gathering is a, an event, a temporary autonomous zone. Uh, it can have uh, 10, 20,000 hippies out in the woods. Uh, dinner circle would consist of uh, three or 4,000 people sitting in concentric circles. A uh, hundred different kitchens might be in the woods. They will send down five-gallon buckets full of food. Uh, everybody will get fed during this dinner circle. A magic hat will go around because these are non-commercial events. There's no way to spend your money. So uh, people chip their money into the magic hat. Uh, this magic hat money goes to the banking council, which is a totally transparent uh, organization. Anybody can be a member. The money is counted. That number is announced to the to the dinner circle. Uh, the next morning, that money goes to supply the supply council. The kitchen council meets. The kitchens all decide what they need from town. They tell supply. The supply council goes into town, brings back the supplies. Gives the kitchen uh, the, their supplies, then the kitchens cook the food, and it goes over and again, uh, night after night for several weeks out in the woods. Uh, there's a like I say, it's a non-commercial event, it's an acoustic event, it's a non-electric event. Um, but there are talent shows, there are uh, roving musicians, there are so many, uh, so much campfire entertainment, storytelling, uh, gong shows. Uh, just anything you can possibly think of. And it's a really uh, amazing thing. Um, but, it, and it is certainly where I picked up many, many of the skills that I was able to bring out into the world. But perhaps I get ahead of myself. So, um, after I had left Baltimore, a year had passed and I realized that I had committed myself to running for mayor of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, at that time, I, as the election was drawing near, um, The collective seeds of peace was on a a march with Habitat for Humanity at the time I think, and I ended up uh, sitting it out and I spent a month in a drug study as a human guinea pig uh, for one of the pharmaceutical companies and I was earning enough money to be able to uh, run my campaign at that time and so I think I got a thousand bucks for the thirty days and then I spent that money on computer typesetting. Uh, we type set up, uh, my platform, uh, which was somewhat similar, if not reminiscent of, uh, what it is today and, uh, a bunch of posters and, uh, we went to Baltimore and I campaigned the hell out of that, uh, that town, put posters all over, um, busted up my bullhorn. It was the first time I campaigned uh, with a bullhorn and, uh, made a little splash and got a taste for, uh, for what would eventually become quite a ongoing, never ending hobby of mine, campaigning.
1: So, when you say you were a and guinea pig, what what were they telling <laughs> They were obviously testing something on you. What was that?
0: Um, you know, I, I I did a whole lot of studies, and I don't even recall wow. uh, what half the drugs were. Uh, I also used to do studies uh, for the Henry Ford, Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Clinic. And they were uh, pretty fun ones. Uh, You would go in uh, late at night. uh, They would plug all the electrodes on your head. uh, They would record your sleep. Um, You would wake up in the morning. They would give you a big pitcher of screwdrivers, vodka, and orange juice. Uh, You'd get shit-faced. And then you would play video games, uh, simulated driving. Um, So, yeah, things along those lines. I uh, I, I used to do that for money back when I was a young person. Selling plasma, all that good stuff. Good times. Dumpster diving, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was part of the the activist, uh, low rent hippie lifestyle. That's that's a fact. And um, we, me and my wife traveled around the entire uh, the country uh, for three years, uh, living in uh, a cab over camper, uh, doing political events, uh, which ultimately included uh, the campaigning uh, for presidency. Um, so. Yes, it's, it's been a long time of uh, of excitement, and uh, I think uh, 1992 was the first time that I went up to the New Hampshire primary um, and uh, made my pitch and got my first uh, national exposure, if you will. And I think uh, the, the thing that clicked that time was that I was challenging uh, various candidates to a dueling chainsaw grudge match uh, to the death in the steel cage of doom. And um I got uh, Tom Harkin with that one. I got I got a young Bill Clinton uh with that one. Uh he demure he, he he begged off, he chickened out unfortunately. Um so yeah. That's uh that's how that whole mess started, if you will.
1: So I th- this question has been kind of I'm glad you're here because you can answer this question, but I, I grew up right in the middle of uh Minuteman Missile Montana and um why doesn't anyone care about dismantling nuclear weapons anymore? Are there aren't, why aren't there any ongoing protests and why just, why did, why did it end when we, why did that end when we still have so many nuclear weapons in the U S
0: well, I, I think what probably ended it was, uh, was all those, uh, nuclear missile treaties, uh, that the, uh, USSR and, and the U S, uh, eventually hammered out. And it really seemed, uh, that uh, we were pulling back from the brink of the nuclear cliff. Um, it's uh, it seems like there's always every few years, every generation, uh, an issue comes up uh, that galvanizes a lot of people and a lot of young people, and they jump on board. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know the anti-nuclear protests of the. Uh, well the, the anti war protests of of the 70s uh, of course the, the anti nuclear protests of the 80s the um the, the occupy movement that came into being the uh activities against the the protests against the globalization uh were very very big uh for a stretch in the, in the late 90s uh 2000 I guess up until what 911 uh, sort of took the wind out of that one um and uh it's always a, it's a wonderful thing to see because essentially, you know, when when I was a young person and and looked around and saw all what needed to be done and and met all these like-minded people and and we all got together and made our own echo chambers and um wanted to wanted our voice to be heard and and wanted uh, some input on the policy that was affecting our lives. Um, you know, I mean these things. Come, they rise up. Uh, I mean, Black Lives Matter was a was a very powerful and potent force. Um, some some movements get co opted. Um, you know, sometimes the Democrats will try and co opt a, a whole movement. Uh, sometimes the FBI and Cointel Pro will, will come in and uh, destroy a movement like they did to, to the Black Panthers. Um, they're, they're, and of course, uh, people. Get older, you know, uh, young activists uh, grow grow up a little bit and uh, have families and get jobs and then uh, jump on that treadmill that's uh, uh, very hard to uh, get off of. I've been very lucky. Uh, my wife and I have been able to structure our, our lifestyle uh, in a very minimalist fashion no kids, no pets, no credit card debts. Um, we still dumpster dive our food. Um, and have cheap rent. And these things have have allowed us to uh, be able to not be 100% engaged in uh, employment activities. And, and uh, and yet we've been able to to save enough to travel and, uh, and still get to the protests that we need to get to and uh, things of that nature.
1: You know, um, you being from um, Baltimore area was uh, that city certainly has its had its times of tumultuous uh, activities and, and um, sometimes it has gotten a bad rap, and lately uh, the president has said some negative things about Baltimore. But why does Baltimore get a bad rap? Because it's a really cool city. I like Baltimore. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, it is. Don't don't really know. Don't really know. I, I guess uh, maybe it's just the the uh, m- intensifying uh, wealth inequality. Um, you know, there, there's certainly there a that. lot of really groovy things there, but there's also a lot of, uh, very harsh poverty and, um, and all the attendant, uh, uh desperation and, and violence that, uh, that comes from that. So, um, I, I, guess that's what people are, are focused on the, the negatives as opposed to the positives.
1: And um, So back in the eighties, the I read that you were in Baltimore and you were booking bands for underground clubs. Do you remember what the biggest or most notable band you booked back then would have been?
0: Uh, well, because there was no real budget for any sort of guarantees uh, for any of the bands, it was mostly all uh, local. It was all local original music, and uh, it was Vermin Supreme's fabulous Galaxy Lounge and the Marble Bar uh, on Congress Street uh, in the Congress Hotel. And um, I guess the the biggest acts that we ever that I ended up uh, booking was uh, you know the Slicky Boys, which was sort of the uh, DC-based band. Root Boy Slim, uh, whose big hit was Boogie Till You Puke. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, goodness. I can barely. What was that band? Uh, the, the Jad and Jarrett Fair, the Fair Brothers. What was their?
1: Half Japanese. Um,
0: half Japanese. Yeah. Oh yes, I,
1: I cannot believe you brought that up. That's like how I ever got into that. I'm really into that. So that's a good one. Wow.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you that you knew that. I it was just wasn't clicking. Yeah, but we 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 had some motor morons and infant lunch and right. just a million uh you know local original Baltimore bands from the '80s that uh, that nobody would have have ever heard of uh, unless you were part of that scene at that time. Um, for so, sure. Have, I
1: also, go ahead.
0: Oh no, I, I was saying I also frequented uh, Jules's uh, loft, uh, the Utah Street Loft, which was a uh, uh, you know, a total uh, underground punk rock venue, and uh, and saw a lot of uh, serious punk rock bands back in the day for sure. Uh, True Sounds, of Liberty, Fear, Scream, oh, all all, all them, all, yeah. all of them. I saw them all. Yeah, fuck yeah.
1: I think one of the interesting things is you brought up Half Japanese, and and there's a movie a documentary called Half Japanese, the band that would be king, and and you watch that. And it is so real. I mean, it is so raw and is so real. But but then at the end you're questioning, does this band really exist? Because it's it's one of those things and the movie is made very well and it kind of makes you question that. But it it depicts the life of this band and they they come out with their first instead of doing a single, instead of doing a 45, it's a box set. And it has artwork in it. It has um, cassettes in it. It's it's an amazing movie, and it makes you really question the legitimacy of the movie, as well as it oh. l- links into other um, different bands in in on the East Coast that that kind of were brought up the same way. And it's just an amazing, amazing movie. And I don't really know many people other than a couple of my friends who've ever even seen it or heard about it. But it's one of my favorite documentaries or movies oh, ever. And-
0: I will have to keep an eye out for that one. I, I think I, I had the I booked the the Boston band the Neighborhoods uh, one time, and uh, and my PA guy left, and we had no sound system, and they were very upset. But what can wow. you do?
1: Good story. Thanks but yeah, it was, it was
0: it was a very good time. We, had, we we always had a whole lot of fun, and you know I, I would book uh, you know I I do bills like uh, bluegrass and heavy metal or. I, I would just really mix things up. We had poetry nights and Grateful Dead nights, and and I would bring in dog acts and novelty acts, and uh, it was just a, a, a really wonderful time, uh, for sure, in Baltimore, and and uh, my life.
1: You know, ironic, it, ironically, boss. Baltimore is on the map for for other things, but um, then again. It's also um, if you're going to book a cheap fare to Washington D.C. and you don't and you're not careful, if you're on Priceline.com, it's going to fly you to Baltimore. So, Baltimore has the spillover for the D.C. you know cheap ticket flights, and um, I've ended up there myself, and that's really the only reason that I've ever been there. and And I was happy that that happened, and it was a good uh, good twist of fate. And I ended up there and had a really good time one night. So, yeah. There's that.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, Baltimore had, a when I was there, had a wonderful art weirdo scene. I mean, some of the weirdest, uh, strangest, uh, art types, uh, around were there. And, uh, it was just, uh, I learned a lot. I cut my teeth and, uh, definitely gained a a good chunk of my sensibility, uh, while I was
1: there. There's a clip of you online. It's from 1996. And it's very interesting to me because you, you have this nicely trimmed brown beard and, and, Now it's a little bit longer and a bit gray and which actually is kind of very symbolic of someone who has been through the stress of a presidency and is marked by age. Do you think that you've just been doing the presidential work and not you're getting the gray hairs and not the credit?
0: Well, I, I, once again, I I think I know for a fact, the only reason that I have uh, gotten as far as I have is because I never stopped doing it. Um, if I had to stop doing it, I wouldn't be here right now. Obviously it would have been. And, um, It would have all been over long ago. Um, Back in the day, I I think uh, it's very worthwhile noting that when my hair was not all gray, and and when I was younger and uh, playing this uh, crazy uh, thing on the street, uh, it was very easy for people to dismiss that. Um, You know, oh, look at that crazy hippie boy with the rubber boot on his head. He's a crazy hippie. Um, but now that I'm uh, much older, I have total gravitas. I mean, th- these lines on my face are very powerful, um, and now I'm essentially the elder statesman of Wingnut, and I, I think that's uh, that's a pretty fun place to be.
1: In that same clip in 1996, um, you said, "As I look upon your sea of shining face," you were in Washington D.C. As I look upon your sea of shining faces, all one million of you, and I don't care what the the park police counted as—I mean, that sounds familiar. We heard that something like that after the uh, last presidential inauguration. Where did that come from? Uh,
0: yes, yes, uh, it, it's it's very true. Uh, a lot of the things that I've said over the years uh, seem to have been almost prophetic, if you will. I mean, <laughs>
1: absolutely.
0: Uh, let's face it—the the mandatory toothbrushing bill was pretty much uh, the Patriot Act. Uh, that I wrote, before, you know, I wrote before the Patriot Act image. and it seems to have uh, happened. Um, of course the, the free ponies, uh, I feel that I can take total credit for that entering the political lexicon, if you will. I mean, um, free ponies is, it was pretty much, a, a, an actual campaign, uh, touchstone the last go round. You know, people are, you know, Oh, where's the pony where I want to, where's my free pony and all that stuff. Um, yeah it's uh, it's pretty interesting, I guess just being in it long enough uh, has uh, had things come to life and you know, of course, uh, the fact that I found these amazing uh, touchstones uh, for as campaign planks that have such incredible resonance. Uh, you know the, the mandatory toothbrushing law that was inspired by uh, the early seatbelt laws in my home state of Massachusetts, it was one of the first uh, states that actually, uh, made a uh, mandatory seatbelt law. And uh, I said to myself, uh, hmm, what could be more silly? I mean, it's a good idea, sure, but what would be a, a more ridiculous thing to try and enforce? Uh, and I came up with toothbrushing. Uh, and there was a bumper sticker at the time that said, you know, buckle up, it's the law. So I simply changed that to brush your teeth, it's the law. And uh, and it made a lot of sense, and had had this great resonance with, with the people. Um, I traveled Euroland back in '98, and I translated uh, the phrase uh, "Brush your teeth, it's the law, or you'll be arrested by the secret dental police." And and pretty much uh, everybody in every country got that that simple linkage. And so I've been very lucky to find these you know very simple, uh, yet effective and elegant. Uh, things uh, that have such resonance that they've really had staying power and, and the people really really like them and they like to talk about it and they like to envision it and they like to pretend along with it. And I think that's one of the uh, another attractive thing about my campaign is because it it really gives adults and kids uh, the opportunity to uh, to pretend you know to start envisioning and stretching their mind, and uh, trying to think, you know, what what would it be like if if there were ponies everywhere, and what if all these cars were actually ponies, and and we were driving down the highway on our ponies, and um, you know, and, and uh it, it's been broken down uh, financially. Of, co- of course, the government can afford to give you a pony; they totally can. Absolutely. Um, you know, they can afford to bankroll all these wars, but where, where's our ponies, people? Where's our ponies?
1: And I think it and, uh, you know I like your message too you talked about it just a few minutes ago and, and talked about you and your wife, and I the quality of life is is a big thing. People are absolutely forgetting what the what quality of life is and what the premise of that is and how that happens. you know, and we've be, become so um focused on something that doesn't even matter that quality of life is just going away in America as we speak.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just really uh, hard enough for people to uh, just to make their living, just to pay their bills, pay their rent, pay off their credit cards, pay off their student debt. Uh, You know, it just seems like that is uh, the way the system has been designed in order to, you know, the people, the citizens are the product. You know, they are the – they exist to – to bankroll the government, to spend money on, on objects and things that they, they may or may not need. It's, uh, it's a very interesting scam that uh, somebody has figured out and uh, we are all paying for very dearly. And uh, it's very hard to, to buy back your own time. I mean, I've got very lucky. I have a little house in the woods and, and life is really, really sweet. Uh, but I know there's uh, it's not like that for, for most people.
1: Sam Donaldson says the press is under no obligation to pay attention to you. He says that you're not serious about running for president. What do you say about doubters and haters out there? Well, I think Sam had the good road, intentions.
0: Let, let me say this. The transition to a pony, full pony-based economy will not be an easy one. There will be some grumblers, pony-haters in the beginning. There will be those that scream big government. These malcontents will be dealt with swiftly and harshly. Many pundits will argue that it would never work. They will be sent to the work camps to be shown otherwise. We will use social safety nets to catch and contain the poor people. Yes, the road to Ponetopia will not be easy. The transition times will be confusing and frightening. Not all of us will make it. There will be sacrifices, human sacrifices. But rest assured... The road to Ponotopia will be paved with the glitter-encrusted skulls of our vanquished foes. So there is that, of course.
1: There's that. And
0: this this year is a very interesting year for me. Uh, This is arguably my first real campaign. I mean, yeah, I've been running for some 30 years, but quite frankly, many of those campaigns were not totally real. Now, I'm waving my arm in a circle uh, with my right hand over here. This is – I'm making a Venn diagram for you. This circle here is uh, Vermin Supreme's imaginary world uh, and universe of of political uh, unreality. This hand over here, the left one is making a circle. That one is reality, reality. Now, interestingly, they they overlap. And they've always overlapped a little bit because, of course, I exist in the real meat world. I interact with real-life candidates. I, I interact with the press. All of these things. Uh, I raise money. I, I get on the ballot. You know, I've come in third and fourth in the New Hampshire primary uh, on the on the Democratic ticket. Um, so that part has always been very real. But ultimately, there, there was no way in heck that I was ever going to get the Democrat or the Republican uh, nomination. Now. This last election in 2016, I also uh, jumped into the Libertarian Party a little bit. Um, they they welcome they invited me to an event, and they welcomed me with t- such open arms. And uh, so I went. They to are their very convention. welcoming, I found, for sure. Uh, they were. They're nice. And people. you know, I went to their, went to their convention. And it, was, it was pretty fun, and half the people there, you know, loved me being there, and they let me do whatever I wanted. And and I got to totally, you know, play with all the conventions of a political convention. And um, the other half didn't like it at all. But the half that liked it, liked the, really liked the fact that the other half did not like it. Um, so there is this weird dynamic there. Um, and I am literally actually, in reality now, seeking the Libertarian Party nomination for the presidency. Um, their convention will be next May. And um, I have a Cracker Jack campaign staff and team, uh, which is a totally new experience. And um, they've had real experience in uh, other people's campaigns. Uh, Some of the people working on my campaign worked on uh, John McAfee's campaign, Last Go Round. And and they feel pretty confident uh, that I will be able to obtain enough delegates uh, that I could be the... Nominee for the Libertarian Party. Uh, there, now, there are arguments to be made uh, why I would be a very good candidate. Um, you know, I have more name recognition than any other person uh, currently in the race. Uh, my demographics are, uh, with the young people are pretty much through, through the roof. I've got social media game. Um, of course, they have, there are arguments against it, there are concerns, there are reservations. Um, you know, a lot of people are uh, afraid that, uh, you know, it would be making more of a mockery of, uh, of the Libertarian Party than, than some people perceive it to be already. Um, but uh, I believe that all of these uh, can be overcome. And uh, the gold standard for uh, LP candidate uh, would be 5% of the general election. Uh, that would guarantee ballot access uh, for all uh, the Libertarian parties uh, in, in the state. And uh, so that's a very important thing. Uh, that e- that would equal 6.5 million uh, of votes uh, in the general. Uh, but you know, I do some quick math in my uh-huh. head. You know, I say like uh, 3.9 million high school kids graduate every given year. So give me two of those years. Give me the 19 and the 20. So that's like 8 million. Add that to 17 million uh, kids who are in college. Uh, that's 25 million. So if I were able to get one out of four. Of those kids to vote for me, um, that would equal that five uh, percent. So I've essentially been putting forth this uh, this idea, this narrative, or, or simply trying to get them to agree uh, that my candidacy and uh, my my ability to get five percent is not inconceivable.
1: So you mentioned John McAfee. He's he's British, isn't he? I know uh, I know he's a libertarian, sure. but he <laughs> I thought he was British.
0: I I think that's so. And I I think uh, when you get right down to it, the U.S. Constitution uh, puts out a number of uh, requirements for you to, that that would allow you to be the President of America. Uh, But it doesn't, uh, there's no limitations on running for the President. Gotcha. Um, You know, in fact, that's one of the wonderful things that I really enjoy about running for President it's a self declarative statement. Correct. Anybody can do it. As soon as you say the magic word, hi, I'm running for uh, president. It becomes an indisputable fact. No one can disprove it. Um, you, you might not campaign. You might not get any uh, campaign contributions. You might not get any vote. Uh, you might not even tell many people, but, you, know, but you, don't even, you could register with the FEC if you wanted to. Um, it just becomes reality. And so that's a wonderful thing that I think... Uh, a lot of people have found uh, that they can take advantage of. Um, and, of course, uh, th- this election year, another thing that I've been wanting to do for quite some time, and now it looks like I might be able to do it, is achieve federal election matching funds. Nice. If one is able to raise $5,000 in contributions less than $250 in each of 20 states, The FEC will match that. Um, so uh, And then then that becomes like free money. And then every dollar that you raise uh, on that, they'll they'll match. And um, so it's it's a campaign of infinite potential. And uh, I've brought it uh, about this far. And um, now I have uh, various teams of people who believe that they can propel it uh, even further, yet still. And so let's, let's say you had uh, just,
1: all uh, of a sudden you got 10 grand. Where do you put that money? How do you, how does that, that first 10 grand, what does that look like? I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start there.
0: Well, uh, so far I've, I, I've raised uh, about $6,000 uh, for the campaign and we spent about 5,000 of that. And that money has been spent on attending uh, libertarian state conventions, uh, this past year, probably been to about 10 of them. Um, flight and expenses and convention fees and all that. Uh, because my campaign staff tells me it's very important to show that you're serious. If you're a serious candidate, you need to go to these things. So I've been doing that. And of course there's a, a strategy involved because many, many people of course naturally, uh, assume or believe, or all they've seen is things they've seen on the internet and they think I'm a crazy person or they think I'm simply a meme. And, uh, so I've, we've been going to these events to show them that the boot is not attached to my head at all times. Um, that I am not my character, uh, that I'm not always on, uh, and that I'm a fairly, not always disrupting thing. And that I'm a pretty reasonable character. So essentially, you know, I'm trying to make an offer to the LP. I'm not trying to take over the party. I'm not trying to Frank them. I'm just, uh, making an offer, offering my services. And, um, uh, if they take it, that will be a pretty exciting thing. I mean, it would be a full on in, uh amazing ride i mean uh and you know realistically, it's the only chance in hell that I'll probably be ever could get on all fifty state ballots and um I believe that i if i am i I believe it could go viral. I believe it could be a, an amazing uh thing for America.
1: I'm reading, of course, The uh, I'm reading the Bible of um, online libertarianism, and that's uh, Wikipedia, and it's showing me the, the 2020 Libertarian Party presidential primary. Um, one thing you notice right away is that the Dan Berman's got a big hat, which, you know, I don't know if he thinks that that's compulsory to wear a big hat for this one, but uh, you're the guy with the hat. And then there's two women on there. And they're represented by uh, silhouettes. Any idea why there's no fo- uh, f- <laughs> no fo- photo of Soraya and uh, Kim on the Libertarian Wikipedia page? That's odd.
0: You know, I I, I would have to assume that they have not uh, provided them. I guess campaign um, funding. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, I, I apparently they cannot afford a, a camera. It's tough. Um, it's tough.
1: It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Tough on the trail. So um,
0: I, I don't know it's, uh Yes. I mean, I I did not have one for years. So maybe they just didn't have a camera or maybe they don't know anybody with a camera. I'm I'm not really sure about
1: that. So the last thing that I want to hit upon, of course, is um, one of the favorites of of my people that listen to this show. And we're talking about, of course, disclosure. And uh, Bernie Sanders has already mentioned that um, if he's elected president, he will, um, well, He'll disclose anything the government knows about UFOs. I don't know if anything, but that's what he says now. What does the government disclosure mean to you? And are you a proponent of letting us know, the United States of America, that we are not alone?
0: I'm going to be in the front. Of, I'm going to be the first one at Area 51, baby. <laughs> I have experience. That yeah, they a need a good promoter, to- too. We used to go back country into the uh, Nevada nuclear test site. I think Area 51 will be a, a similar experience. It's a
1: breeze, no uh, radiation. Yeah. What do, you yeah think, so. what do you think of that disclosure thing, and um, do we get every detail from you?
0: Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Full disclosure. Oh, open the floodgates. Uh, declassify everything. Um, you know, let's, um, let's figure it out. Let's, let's clap them aliens.
1: Let's do it. So it it's been an amazing night to have you, Vermin Supreme, in the studio. And with that, as always, I do this for all my guests. I would like to give you the final word, please, sir.
0: Friends, as you know, there has indeed been a slight tear in the time-space continuum. This has caused some minor interruptions in our current time stream. I would like to assure you that I have very smart scientists working on a solution to this problem in the past, in the present, and in the future. I feel confident that we will return to a vermin supreme presidency at any moment. I apologize for any inconvenience in the meantime. Let me assure you, my friends, together we will ride our ponies into a zombie powered future. Thank you. My name's Vermin Supreme. Visit my campaign website, https vermansupreme 2020com Buy the book, buy my merch. And by golly, if you know any college kids, I'm a college speaking guy. Also, please, if you have the opportunity to watch just one documentary this year, please watch the documentary entitled, Who is Vermin Supreme? Uh, it's available on the Internet, uh, YouTube, um, Amazon Prime, and, uh, and places like that, I believe. And uh, it's, a, it's a very informative documentary documentary. Uh, which covers a whole lot of, uh, of my whole project for the past 30 years. Um, and a lot of things that we didn't even get to touch upon tonight. So check it out, people. And, uh, thank you for your support. And if you know any libertarians, send them my way. If you want to work in my campaign, uh, drop me a note through the Facebook machine, uh, Vermin Supreme for president. It's the blue chick, blue, blue uh, check mark. Um, I'm at Vermin Supreme on, uh, Twitter. I think uh, I've got Instagram and uh, God knows what outside it now. Who knows? Thank you.
1: Vermin, Supreme Libertarian President, candidate, friend of My Alien Life Podcast. Thank you very much, sir.
0: You, sir, are welcome.
1: My Alien Life Podcast. You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com, and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at Podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records.